Today is Monday, November 2nd, 2020, and tomorrow, November 3rd, is Election Day here in the United States. Some 90 million Americans have already cast their ballot in the presidential election, and millions more will vote today and tomorrow. Today's message from David Platt is nothing short of timely. While God's Word tells us to honor our government leaders, it is also clear that God alone is worthy of our fear and our reverence. The one who created all things and to whom we must give an account as our just judge is not to be treated lightly. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at our website, Radical.net. In today's message from 1 Peter chapter 2, Pastor David urges us to hear the repeated refrain of Scripture, fear God. For followers of Christ, this fear gives us confidence in the face of every earthly fear that we might have. It is God, not worldly leaders and governments, who is sovereign over our lives. So here's David with a sermon titled, Fear God, Not Government, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. During our time together today, but I, I want us to start in the first chapter. And as you're turning, I want to r- remind you, for those of you especially online, that we now have opportunities for people to gather in person here at Tyson's every Sunday, along with some of our other locations. You can get all that information, including how to register for these gatherings from the Get Connected page on our website. So that registration opens every Monday morning at 10 a.m. for the following Sunday. I would also mention just a couple other things on that Get Connected page. In addition to getting connected to classes, just opportunities for groups, serving opportunities across the city during this pandemic, we've also added a link for people who are ready to be baptized. We haven't been doing baptisms, obviously, like we were doing pre-COVID, but we now have avenues for that to happen with helpful protocols in place. So there's a link on the Get Connected page for that. And then the last thing I'd mention is the link on that page for giving. I just want to praise God for your faithful giving over these last months. It has been nothing short of awesome to see God's provision on display in this church family. And I just want to encourage you to continue to excel in that grace of giving because we're not stopping doing ministry. We haven't stopped, including ministry across our city on a whole other level during this time. So please continue to give. You can find links for how to do that on the Get Connected page. So, all right, First Peter chapter 1. We're starting here because many of you are working on memorizing 1 Peter chapter 1, and it's been a few weeks since we reviewed that memorization, so I want to give us an opportunity to do that together. I'm going to put 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 13 on the screen, and I want to invite all of us in this room, wherever you are, to read it out loud together from the screen, and those who are memorizing it, I want to invite to say it without looking at the screen. Sound good? All right, let's do it, and may God be honored as we simply read and meditate on his word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, say it out loud together, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, 
Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold than perish, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about this grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving, not you, not themselves, but you, in the things that have been announced to you by those who preached the good news to you from the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. God, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the living hope we find in it, and we pray that you would help us today to find deeper understanding of the living hope we have in it. So that leads us to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, where I want us to consider two words today. Two words. Last week, we talked about exalting Jesus in an election. This week, we're two days away from that election being official. And no one, no one listening right now knows what Tuesday night or Wednesday or Thursday holds no one but God. Which is why, so last week we looked at the role of government, the part we play in government as submissive citizens who do good, abhor evil, we honor everyone, including leaders, and we love the church. Yet ultimately, there's one command in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, that I would argue supersedes everything. And it's where we left off near the end of 1 Peter 2, 17. 
The Bible says, honor everyone. And then comes back at the end of the verse just to make clear that we're not missing. Everyone includes the emperor. So honor everyone, including the emperor. Love the brotherhood and fear God. Fear God, not the government. Fear God. So what does that mean? And why is this command so important for us two days before a significant election in our country? Well, let's think about this word, fear. It's familiar to each of us in unique ways. In fact, let's do this. Why don't you take a moment, wherever you are in this room or wherever you are on the other side of listening, watching, just spend the next 60 seconds in silence and contemplate this question. What are you most tempted to fear in your life, in the world? Like if you're gonna be afraid of anything in your life, what would it be? Just take 60 seconds to contemplate that. If you're taking notes, maybe write it down. So go for it, just, just let this soak in. What are you most tempted to fear in your life? I obviously don't know all the things that may have come to your mind. Maybe it's fear of heights or flying or spiders or snakes, venomous pests. Maybe it's a fear of germs. Maybe it's a fear of COVID. Maybe it's a fear of losing someone or something important to you. Someone you love, losing a job, or possessions, or a reputation you have, or fear of losing your health or your life. Maybe you fear getting hurt or losing control. Maybe you fear failure or rejection or being alone. Maybe you fear the unknown. There may be specific fears you're facing in your life right now. Maybe you fear what we're facing in this election. I've heard people say, I'm afraid of what might happen if this person gets elected. I've heard other people say, I'm afraid of what might happen if that person gets elected. I've heard some people say, I'm afraid of what might happen whoever gets elected. But does God call us to think this way? Or is being afraid of anything actually the opposite of how God calls us to think? 
I guess it means what you depend by fear, right? Like take snakes, for example. If you are standing in front of a king cobra snake, the largest venomous snake in the world, and you have chills going down your spine even at this moment, it seems appropriate not to be too casual or playful, doesn't it? There seems to be a God-honoring, even God-given level of appropriate fear. But even still, a king cobra is not ultimate, is it? Job chapter 26, verse 13, talking about God, says, by his breath, the heavens are cleared. His hand pierces the fleeing serpent. So even a king cobra is under the authority of God, which means ultimately, you don't need to fear a king cobra. You need to fear the one who created and rules over the king cobra, right? Isn't this what Jesus means when he is speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10? So Peter, who writes this command to fear God, once heard Jesus prepare him and the other disciples for the persecution they would face for following and proclaiming Jesus. And Jesus said about persecutors in Matthew chapter 10, have no fear of them. Don't fear them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, your persecutors, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, instead, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, Jesus said, don't be afraid of people, even governing officials who can kill your body. Be far more afraid, ultimately afraid, of the God who determines your eternity. Which is why Peter now writes in a passage about government in the middle of persecution, fear God. Think about it. Then why in a world where legitimately there are all kinds of things that we are and should be concerned about, a world where there are many things we find ourselves anxious or worried about or afraid of in our lives, our families, in our country, why do we have this command? And it's not just here, it's throughout the Bible. Over a hundred times we have this command to fear God alone and nothing else. Nothing but God. Three reasons, and I'd encourage you to write them down why we fear God alone. And I want to let them lead us to sing and worship in fear before the God who is worthy of that fear. So first reason, we fear God alone because of his ultimate authority. Isn't this what Peter is saying in this passage about government? He's saying we're submissive citizens of a government, but we don't fear government. No matter what happens in government, we fear God. It's exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 10. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. It's an issue of who has ultimate authority. So yes, maybe the government has authority to kill your body, but that authority is not ultimate. God has authority over your body and your soul. And this is what we read this last week. If you're following along with the NBC Bible reading plan, we just finished the book of Daniel. We saw King Nebuchadnezzar declare, all people must bow down and worship me or be burned in a blazing fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, we fear God more than we fear you. So we will not bow at your feet. 
But another pagan king, King Darius, declares that no one can pray to God. If they do, they'll be thrown into a den of lions. So what does Daniel do? He marches up to his room like he did every day, opens the window, and he prays to God. And then, so watch this, right after the king throws Daniel into a den of lions. God spares his life there. Daniel comes out while his accusers are fed to the lions. The king declares, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. In other words, he's the ultimate king. It's the same thing Peter is now saying to Christians in the first century and the 21st century. Fear God. Do not fear government or anything else. Anything. Why? Follow this. Because everything you might be tempted to fear is under the ultimate authority of God. Everything, think about everything you put on the list, everything that came to your mind, everything you might be tempted to fear is ultimately under the authority of God. Everything, like think, think about, it. so one of my fears does involve snakes. So my first time, I went to uh, uh, the Sudan. So this was before there was uh, South Sudan. It was during a time of major persecution of Christians in the South and uh, and we were going to serve the persecuted church there. This was, so this was many years ago. And it was certainly to that point the most dangerous trip I had been on to a place overseas. And Heather and I prayed through that trip before I committed to go, but believed that God was leading me to go to be a part of serving the church there in that way. And so went on this trip and so counted that cost. Well, we, we go on the trip. We we were, uh, we were there in Africa. We were about to, we, we had an overnight in one particular country. We were about to go into Sudan and we gathered together the night before and the guy who's leading the trip says, hey, there's one risk that we've not talked about that we need to discuss. And I thought we had discussed a sufficient amount of risk leading up to that point. So this was a bit of an alarm as we're already there. And he said, we need to talk about the stakes in Sudan. And he goes on to talk about how like, seven of the 10 deadliest snakes in the world live in the region of Sudan where we are going. And he starts to list them one by one, like the green mamba, the black mamba. And he starts just talking through all the details about these snakes. And he said, uh, we have a snake kit, but it was not made for snakes like this. Um, so, so one of the guys asked the obvious question, well, if someone gets bit, what will we do? And the leader said, we will pray. And... Yeah, at that moment, you, you begin to realize how, uh, how much your theology of prayer really matters. So, I mean, I, and he said, so, so with that, I just want you to, to be aware of this risk so you all sleep good and we'll get up and fly in, in the morning. And I'm like, no chance. I lay in my bed that night. I close my eyes. All I see are mambas everywhere. I could not sleep. So, true story, what I did, I just got up in the middle of the night and I start going through the word and I come across Psalm chapter 91, verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. I memorized Psalm 91 that night instead of sleeping, including that verse right there so that I would be ready. So the next morning we fly in to Sudan. We fly on this uh, 
this makeshift airstrip in the middle of nowhere on this tiny little plane. We get out and uh, we're carrying our bags. Uh, we get to this, this river. This is a whole other story. This is alligator-infested river. And uh, we're about to cross on a little uh, unstable canoe and, uh, that the Sudanese have made. And they've put a name on, on the side of it and they called it the Mayfloat. It's like real funny, the Mayfloat. We're gonna cross the alligator-infested river on a Mayfloat. So we get on the Mayfloat and we cross the other side and there's a truck that's waiting for us there, this kind of Jeep. And there's enough room for most guys to get inside. But they, they need somebody to climb up on the top and ride on the top. So I was eager. I was like, I'll go ride on top. How cool is that? So as we start to go forward, I remember. So last, the night before, one of the guys told us a story about a villager there in Sudan who had been walking his cattle down the middle of the path in the middle of the, uh, the trees all around and there was, some, uh, there was a snake up in the trees and just kind of slithered down and bit like three cows in a row and they all fell over dead. And so I, he told that story the night before. Well, we start driving and I'm on the top all excited until I realize we're about to drive through the middle of trees everywhere that are gonna be, all, I mean, this little path through the middle of trees everywhere that are now eye level with me. So you know what I did? You will trample upon the lion and the serpent, the cobra. You will trample, and I just start everywhere. The whole trip is just me on top of the Jeep and the word of God and the authority of God that I'm trying to claim over whatever is in these trees. And this was like my whole trip, like everywhere I'm walking, you will trample upon the lion, the serpent, you trample upon the cobra. So that's the, I share that story because that's what I'm encouraging you to do with fear. Any and every fear in your life, whether it's the fear of losing someone, something close to you, fear of getting hurt, failing, being alone, whatever it is, you proclaim God is sovereign over this, God is in control of that, therefore you have no reason to fear. Follow this, this is so important because we fear God alone who has ultimate authority, we have total security in him. This is why scripture can say, Proverbs 14, 26, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. Oh, I want you to feel this fortress in your life. Specifically, us to feel this fortress before an election where no, none of us knows what lies ahead. In fact, let me, let me take you one more place in God's word. Let us soak in. So Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, God is warning his people all throughout that book not to be afraid of what the world fears and even what the nations of the world specifically might say or do to them. So God says in the very beginning of the book, Isaiah 8, 13, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Fear God. Then specifically later, in light of threats to God's people coming from among the nations, God says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse nine, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Don't be afraid of them. Look at your God who has ultimate authority over the nations. Look at him, fear him. So keep going in Isaiah chapter 40. He says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would, oh, sorry, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its boasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Are you getting this? The nations are like a drop from a bucket. So 
I'm, I'm hearing this this week. I'm like, all right, here's a bucket. It's filled with water, okay? So, put it right here. Let's take a dropper. Let's put that in the bucket. I want you to think about the nations of the world, 200 or so United Nations, all of them, big ones, small ones, all that goes on them, in them. Now picture those nations, and here's the way God sees them. Do you see them? That's the nations in the hand of our sovereign God. Is there anything you need to fear in that? It'd be ridiculous to fear that. In fact, he says, what does he say? Behold, they're like accounted as dust on the scales. So then I was like, okay. So here is my PhD dissertation, full of dust. And no one, literally no one has read this since I wrote it. So here's a scale, it's a scale. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put the dust from this dissertation on the scale and just see the effect. Like not registering at all. Like when the scale starts, it turns on. It's not even turning on. That, that's the nations for our God. And these illustrations are no exaggeration. Look what he says next. There as nothing before him, as Less than nothing. How is that even possible? If I'm holding nothing in my hand and you say, I have less than that, I'm like, I don't get it. What does that mean? This is God making a clear point to his people then and to you and me today that he is in control, sovereign over it all, over countries and elections and presidential candidates. God says a couple verses later, it's he who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. <laughs> emptiness. Could God's word be any clearer to us on this day? Do not fear what happens in nations or elections. Hear the word of God. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, God says to his people, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13, I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. I say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. I, the one who holds the nations in my hand, am your helper. You have nothing to fear. Because we Fear God alone who has ultimate authority. We have total security in him. Christian exiles in this country, we are dwelling right now in a secure fortress. Now, we could stop here, shut things down, but there would be a problem if we did because the fear of God is not a good thing and this command to fear God alone is not a good command only because of God's authority. 
Think about it. There are many examples you or I could think of when it comes to authority figures who are fearful but not good. Think of evil despots throughout history who have wielded their authority in evil ways. Think of an abusive husband or dad or any other person in any position of authority who wields that authority in wicked ways. I know that some of you have fears in your life precisely because of people who have abused authority in your life. So is authority the only reason we fear God? Because if that's the case, then fear of God might be extremely unhealthy. But it's not. Because God's ultimate authority is not the only reason we fear God. Second reason we fear God alone We fear God alone because of his ultimate justice. Think about this here in 1 Peter chapter 2. We've just been commanded to honor, even submit to an emperor who was sadistic in his rule in the first century. Nero, I mentioned last week, week, had his stepbrother, his mom, and his wife all arbitrarily killed. An emperor who would one day throw Christians to wild beasts to be devoured. Who would hang Peter himself on a cross. Yet Peter is saying, don't be afraid of him. Why not? Because Peter knows what Jesus had taught him in preparation for this moment. Go back to Matthew chapter 10. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This should be 26 through 28. Can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, please follow this. This is so, so, so important. As followers of Jesus, we do not expect this world to be perfectly just. Instead, we wait for perfect justice in the world to come. I'm gonna say that one more time because the ramifications of this are massive for the way we view evil and suffering in this world and in our lives. As followers of Jesus, we do not expect this world to be perfectly just. Instead, we wait for perfect justice in the world to come. Now I want to be really careful as soon as I say that to emphasize this doesn't mean we don't desire justice in this world, that we don't do justice according to God's word. We absolutely desire and do justice in this world to the extent that we are able. Yet, we know that this world is full of injustice. We don't expect it to be perfectly just. As followers of Jesus, we are patiently waiting for the day when perfect justice will reign. After all, it's a little further down in 1 Peter chapter 2. See how Jesus sets the example for us in this. 1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. In other words, Jesus was perfectly innocent of all evil, anything wrong, completely innocent. Yet, 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, 
But watch this. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was not surprised to experience unjust treatment in this world. At the same time, he knew as he was being accused, tried, beaten, and crucified, he knew who would have the last word. He knew his father was judge of all and his justice will reign one day. And knowing that, Jesus entrusted himself to the father. And so can you and me as followers of Jesus. Follow this. Because we fear God alone, who has ultimate justice, we can completely trust in him. This is why Exodus chapter 14, verse 31 says, the people fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Do you see this? A right fear of God goes with trust in God, especially in a world of evil and injustice. For all who have experienced, seen evil and injustice around you or done to you, and you have struggled, maybe even now still struggle with the sovereignty of God and the evil and injustice of this world, hear God saying that he will bring ultimate justice and you can trust in him for that. And for all of us amidst an election, even as we rightfully desire and wisely work to do justice in our country, let us not expect perfect justice to be present in the United States. Let's expect for the battle for justice to be constant in this world, even as we patiently wait for perfect justice to come. This is why Martin Luther King Jr., amidst the battles against racism around him, made his famous statement that's now engraved on his memorial downtown that the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends toward justice. That quote has been taken out of context in so many ways politically to advocate for all kinds of causes, ironically, even unjust causes according to God's standards of justice. But Martin Luther King was not ultimately talking about this world. He described this world similarly to what 1 Peter 2 is saying here. King said, evil may so shape events in this world that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. But that same Christ will rise up and split history into AD and BC so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by the name of Christ. Yes, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Maybe more appropriately, it ends in justice. Which is, so follow this reason to fear God alone. Because God alone will have the last word. To every person within the sound of my voice then, please hear this closely. You will one day stand before God as your judge. And he alone will have ultimate authority on that day to invite you into everlasting joy with him in heaven or to cast you into everlasting torment in hell. When you die, which could be any moment for any one of you, me, 
You or I will face God as judge. And he will be just. The problem is most people are banking on relative good on that day to get them into heaven. I.e., they weren't as bad or evil as so many other people. Basically, most people are banking on scales coming out on the right side. They're hoping, believing that their good will outweigh their bad. But that kind of thinking is deadly and will be eternally damning for everyone who thinks that way, according to God himself. Because you and I, we have all sinned, rebelled against God, turned from God's ways to our ways, and one sin, one act of rebellion against the infinitely just God of the universe is worthy of infinite judgment. Which is why our relative good works, our scale of good works, is nowhere near sufficient to save us from our sin against God. The only way, God says, that you can be saved from his judgment is by his grace, which he offers freely to all in his son, Jesus, who came to die on a cross for our sin. But apart from true life-entrusting faith in Jesus, you will experience everlasting destruction in hell. And this is absolutely reason for fear. This is absolutely what matters most on this Sunday before an election. Not who will win or lose this week, but where you stand before the God who will be your judge. This is why at the height of a great awakening, Jonathan Edwards preached one of the most famous sermons in history. I can't improve on his words. I just want to say them right now because there are some of you and you know who you are who have not been taking God seriously and truth's been told whether you've been running from God or may, maybe playing games before God with a religious facade maybe for many years. Hear these words to anyone, everyone who is not truly trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, Edward said, God holds you over the pit of hell and he looks upon you as worthy to be cast into the fire. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire at every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night, that you woke again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose this morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you haven't gone to hell since you have sat here yeah, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you don't this very moment drop down into hell. Oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. And put your trust in Jesus. Fear God. Nothing in this world. Fear God who will bring ultimate justice in the world and in your life. And trust your life to him right now through faith in Jesus. For, so follow this, the last reason we fear God alone. We fear 
God alone because of his ultimate goodness. So put it all together. Yes, fear God, Matthew chapter 10, because God has authority and justice to destroy both soul and body in hell. Yet God, with his authority, has sent Jesus to pay the price for sin on a cross. And God, in his authority, has raised Jesus, his son, from the dead. And God, in his authority, declares that anyone, no matter what you have done, who you are, if you will trust in Jesus, his son, as Savior and Lord of your life, he will rescue you from your sin, reconcile you to himself so that you might enjoy eternal life now and forever with him. So that you might, so now hear the words of Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, here it is. Fear the Lord, use you his saints. For those who fear him, watch this, have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Man, woman, student, fear, revere, stand in awe of the God who is the author of all good things. And as you fear him, find yourself feasting at his table forever and ever. That's the picture. Because we fear God alone, who is ultimately good, we find everlasting delight in him. Now it makes sense, full circle. When we read Nehemiah chapter one, verse 11, it talks about servants of God who delight in fearing God's name. How do you delight in someone you fear? Here's how. When the one you fear is the fountain of ultimate goodness and you realize he loves you and he's made a way for you to enjoy him and his goodness forever and ever, which means you now have nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing to fear in this world. So on this Sunday before an election in our government, amidst whatever else is going on in your life, I want to call you to fear God. God is calling us, 1 Peter 2, 17, to fear him. To, in the words of Psalm 2, 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What does that mean, rejoice with trembling, rejoice with fear? How do, you, how do you rejoice with fear? It means to rejoice right now because brothers and sisters, our security is not found in this candidate or his party. Our security is found in a king and his kingdom. Rejoice with fear because our trust is not in a constantly changing government. Rejoice with fear because our trust is in the coming justice of God. And ultimately rejoice with fear and trembling because our delight is not in who wins an election. Our delight is in the one who holds the winner and you and this nation and all the nations of the world and all our future in it in the palm of his hand. Fear him with security, trust, and delight in him alone. Here's this word straight from God to you and me today. Psalm 33, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might, it cannot rescue. In other words, do not fear kings or armies or nations 
because they cannot save you. Do not look to the United States or presidential elections for what you need. Look to God. And where is God looking? Very next verse. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Let's pray. Oh God, may your eyes fall on us right now. As a people who fear you, who hope in you, trust in you, who look to you for our security, who delight in fearing your name. And even right now, in this room and wherever we might be, as we sing to you, shout to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we pray that you would cause fear of you in all these good ways we have just seen to rise up in new ways. Help us to sing and worship you with appropriate, reverent, fearful awe. God, I pray, I pray that for anyone, anyone, everyone listening right now who does not know Jesus is Savior, that right now, even as we sing, that this would be the moment where they say in their hearts, Jesus, you are my King. I trust in you to save me from my sin, to lead me as Lord of my life. They would feast at the table you have offered them today. And they would fear you for the first time. So be glorified in our singing and our worship now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2020 has been nothing short of unique and even bizarre at times. And it may help in times of anxiety or doubt about how to respond to current events as a Christian to meditate on Micah 6.8. Today, we invite you to pray that God would help us as the church and as a country to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with Him. Well, we love hearing stories from our radical podcast community on how the podcast and the teaching of Pastor David has impacted listeners. Pat from Washington, D.C. writes us, I just attended McLean Bible for the first time yesterday in person, but from afar, I've listened to David Platt and the Radical Podcast for the past six years. David is a huge part of why I became a believer five years ago, and he continues to teach me each week. We are so grateful for our Radical with David Platt podcast community. Thanks for continuing to join us on this journey each week. That's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. Until next time, join us at Radical.net.